But Daryl said, you're going to close your eyes and wake up and the feast's going to be over? Seems like just yesterday, wasn't it? And I thought about that yesterday when Daryl was speaking and I, I thought, it just seems like 1962 was just yesterday when I first had the opportunity to be come in contact with God's way of life because I was doing my thing um, that wasn't in God's plan. <laughs> it won't be long and we're going to be going home. we got only a few hours left. And we'll go back to our mundane life doing whatever we do some different states some right here locally but we're all going to be really involved in doing everything that we normally do and I want to know what am I taking with me from this feast what are you taking away from the Feast of Tabernacles 2014 in the second sermon, we were admonished, instructed, asked that we get closer and closer to our Father in Christ in prayer, in study, in our thoughts, in our actions, in our daily life. Can we look back on the past seven and a half days or seven and more than three quarters of days, can we look back and say, you know, I really have accomplished that. Am I going to take that with me and not let it slide and just go back to being an everyday life and forget the importance of the Feast of Tabernacles? I want to think about that. The first sermon, Gordon said, why are you here? He asked us, why are we here? Did we think throughout the whole feast, have we gone back and tried to analyze why did I come to the feast here in the Arizona Strip at Anatol? What brought me here? I have a couple questions I'm going to ask you. You can raise your hand if you want, if you have the answer. The first question is, before the Feast of Tabernacles began, did you have a personal contact with God? Did you sit down and discuss it with God whether or not we would have a Feast of Tabernacles? or whether or not we have any holy days at all. Did you sit down and say, let's talk about this, God? Um, maybe we ought not to have a feast. Did, did God say to you, hey, let's sit down and discuss this. Did, did anybody here have that personal contact with God and discuss whether or not we should have a feast of tabernacles? Or not? I don't see any hands go up because apparently God didn't care whether you thought we ought to have the feast or not. 
because we can go back to Leviticus 23 and we can read at every holy day, God says, these are commanded assemblies. There's no option. They are commanded assemblies. The only option that we have is whether we choose to obey or not to obey. God told each one of us, he said, I said in front of you two options. The options are not whether there's a holy day or not. The options are not whether there's a feast of tabernacles or not. The options for each one of us, the option is, will I keep it or whether I will not keep it? We know the, the results are in Zechariah 14, God says, if you decide not to keep the Feast of Tabernacles, the options for you are, you get no water. If you have no water, you have no food. If you have no food, you get pretty hungry. So you have a choice to say, okay, I'm going to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Or not. But to God... These are commanded assemblies. He didn't ask me, Nelson, uh, would you like to keep the feast this year? Uh, Maybe I shouldn't even have a feast. No, see, he just says, they're going to be there. You know, he gave us a book of Job, and I I like the fact that I, I hadn't given it a lot of thought until I was going through this sermon. Um... He had commanded times that the angels had to appear in front of his throne. And you know, and God took the book of Job, it's not a cute story, it's for us today. Okay, it's a story for us today. He knew Satan's reactions. He knew exactly what would happen. Satan might not have thought it, but God knew exactly. And so he did for you and for me. He had Job brought up. He brought Job up to Satan. He said, Satan, what do you think about Job? I mean, he he kind of set the thing up. And Satan had to say, well, you protected him. Well, God knew what. Satan would say. He knew he would do that. He knew his attitude. I look at my life and I think because Satan said to God, you've protected him. You've sheltered him. You've taken care of him all his life. So I look at my life. As a boy, three or four years old, I'm not sure what it was, my dad had a, I think it was a Chrysler, with suicide doors. You know what a suicide door is? Suicide doors were back in those days where the back door opened into the wind. My brothers picked on me. I was on the floor and I wanted to get up and I opened the door, the back door. So I know God has protected my life and I'm sure you can look at your life and see somewhere down the line God has put a shield around you because I was out on the road 
My dad was still going down the road, and I was outside, and the car behind me ran over me. I was protected. And I can look at 20 or 30 different things in my life that I was protected by. So Satan said to God, you protected Job. You know, try him. He'll leave you. God knew Job. Satan didn't know Job. God knew Job. God knew what he could what he handled. Because he always said about each one of us, he said, I'm not going to try you any more than you can handle. So God allowed Satan to knock the socks off of Job. He lost everything but his wife and three servants. And another commanded assembly came up and Satan had to be there. Just like us, we have to be here or we can take the risk of not coming and suffering the consequences. It's like sin and death. You sin, you die. You obey and you live. And Satan was able to come to God and say, well, you know, uh, skin for skin, take him farther down and he will leave you. How often do we come to that position in our life? Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They had an option of bowing down to some idol or honoring and loving God. What did they say? There's no option. You love God. No matter what happens, you love God. So we have options in front of us too. So that first question, God didn't come to Job and say, Do you want to be tried? Do you want to have boils? Do you want to lose everything you have? Wasn't. That wasn't even asked. God already knew for you and for me. The story of Job is to tell us that we have to come and understand who God is. And Job had to say, I have heard of you all my life, but now I know you because God said, I'm in charge. I control everything. So, when I ask the question, did God ask you, do you want to, do you think I should have the Feast of Tabernacles? Do you think I should have Passover? Do you think I should have the Days of Unleavened Bread? And do you think that, do you think this is something we ought to do? Maybe there's something we could do better. No. For God, He didn't ask us anything at all, did He? He didn't ask us if we should have the Feast of Tabernacles. He just said, this is the Feast of Tabernacles. You are commanded to be here. You have to come. Second question. Because this kind of applies to Daryl and Gordon and Terry and me. And to you. Did God sit down to each one of you, any one of you, and say... I need to have somebody speak at Feast of Tabernacle. Who, who do you think we should have? Of course, I'm sure we would say, well, we certainly won't want Daryl Henson to speak. 
I know, I know that guy. We don't want Nelson to speak. We know him. You know, we know his character. Uh, we don't want him to speak. No, God didn't ask you that question, did he? He didn't say, uh, uh, that guy has got a lot of faults. No, God didn't ask you who should speak. He just appointed them. God didn't ask us to move out here at this place. I think back in 2001 at the Feast of Tabernacles. I don't know why I did it. I was giving a sermon. And all of a sudden, inside my brain said, you have to move to the desert Leave the city. Well, I heard Daryl speaking. He covered that through that whole feast. He covered the, the things that have to happen. It wasn't in my mind, and it wasn't in my wife's mind, because she looked at me and said, Well, thanks. I'm glad we discussed this. <laughs> I'm glad we decided together that we're going to move out to the desert and give up that nice little house we have with a little swimming pool and a half acre of land and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren and our children. No, I, I didn't plan that. It just, boom, you know, the light came on. And so we came out here. And for me, I look back at that and I say, did I ask God about that? Did I discuss this matter with him? No. No. He didn't care whether what I thought. He just gave me scriptures that said, you need to leave the cities and move to a place that I can help you and teach you and lead you in the path of righteousness. So I go back to that first question. Why are you here? Why did you come here? Because Daryl's the greatest speaker around? <laughs> I've heard too much of the other side. No, God gives him the information and I am learning things I have never learned before because I have been willing to turn away from me and turn to God. So why are you here? It was asked that first day. We were at the last day. Feast of Tabernacles is over. This is the last great day. We're going home soon. And have we given it a lot of thought? Why did I come here this year? Am I going to take back with me something important? Or am I just going to... Let it come in one ear and out the other. I thought about years ago, I think I made a sermonette, that maybe what we ought to do is buy a handout when people come in the, in the door, hand them one earplug. So they put it in one ear so that when the stuff comes in one side, it can just bounce around inside and we can take it away with us because it didn't go in one ear and out the other. So I ask you again, why did you come? I understand that each and every one of us have been handpicked. I don't know exactly what I was handpicked for, what, what background I had, and 
I'm, I don't, I'm certainly can tell you I don't know what background Daryl had and why God picked him or Gordon or Terry. But God did. It was God who did that. They were hand-picked. And so were you. Each and every one of us was hand-picked to be here for a reason that sometimes we just don't want to think about it. But you were picked to be here. You were not picked to be in United or Global or Church of the Great God or Restored Church or someplace else. You were picked to be here because He, our Father, and Christ has an important job for you. So you've been picked to be here to be a part of this. And if we've been picked to be here, and we've been selected for a specific purpose, what are we doing with it? Romans 13.11 Romans 13.11 And that knowing the time that now is high time to wake out of sleep. Oh, maybe that's an indication of why we were picked. To wake up. You can go through, I think it's Isaiah 51.52 And I can remember the sermon Darrell gave. He beat the podium, you know. Wake up, wake up, wake up. We're picked to wake up. There's something more to what God has for you and for me than just to be here and enjoy the Feast of Tabernacles. To wake up, for now is our salvation nearer than when we first believed. Time is important. In First Peter four seventeen, First Peter four seventeen says, "For the time has come that judgment must begin on the house of God." So we've been handpicked, and we are being judged every day of our life because we've been handpicked for some special purpose of God. And if we've been handpicked and judgment is on us today, then we're also told to redeem the time because the days are evil. So we have a responsibility. We're handpicked. We have a responsibility there and we need to take and redeem the time that we have. This is only a, this life is only a, a temporary thing. We only have a short period of time. We have to come to that point in our life that we understand that we only have a short period of time. And we have to spend and get our nose to the grindstone, our shoulder to the wheel, and get the job done. We have an option. We can do it or we don't do it. We know that if we don't, there's only 144 crowns, 144,000 crowns. We can have one or we can 
choose to not have one. We can choose to go and do it God's way or do it the way we want to do it. I certainly don't want to be in Job's shoes. I don't want to have boils from head to toe. I don't want to have God put his finger in my nose and say, Who asked you how to build this globe to tilt the world so they have four seasons? Who to place this in this orbit so that you have so many days and so many hours in every day and so many days in a year? Because he didn't ask me, and he didn't ask you, and he didn't ask Job. It took a lot for Job to wake up. So he gives us something we can learn by somebody else's experience. This is our time. This is our opportunity. Either we do it God's way, or we don't. And it's something you have to choose. God has, throughout history, chose to teach man the way of life. Man has chosen not to listen. So I said, your hand picked. Revelation 1, verse 6 says, Revelation 1, 6, And He, God, our Father, and Christ, has made us kings and priests to our God and His Father, to Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. So here Christ tells us we've been made kings and priests. Some of us will be kings, a lot of us will wind up being priests. We know that there's one king and a bunch of priests in different areas. So the priests are the teachers. You understand we're being called to teach, but how can you teach if you don't know what you're teaching? In 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen generation, selected, peculiar people, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And we know those that are in that first resurrection are going to be holy people. We heard that yesterday and the day before, how we are to be equal with God. We will be God because we'll be part of a God family. And people will worship us. You know, most of mankind would take that as a, a, a bad thing to say that we're going to be God. They hated Christ for it. And they'll hate us for it. So we are a holy, a, a chosen Especially picked generation, a holy, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation of peculiar people, that we should show forth the praise of Him who called us out of the darkness into His marvelous light. We have an option to be a part of what God is doing, or not. Some we choose. God said. He wants us to be there. We are to be teachers. 
And God hasn't changed anything in his whole uh, lifestyle. He's always done the same thing. We can read Malachi 3, which says that God doesn't change. We can read in Hebrews 13, 8, which says Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. So God doesn't change. So all the way from the beginning of, of mankind that we know today, God's always done the same thing. He's always wanted to teach men the way of life. So he put Adam in, a, in this beautiful garden, best weather, the best food. He even gave him the best woman, the most beautiful. He gave him everything he needed, and he said, I reserve one thing that you had, because I want to teach you the way to life, and want you to learn the way of life, then you can see the way not to life. But what we do as humans, we do. We haven't changed. God change, doesn't change, and we haven't changed. We still want to say, ah, but there's a better way, because we're willing to listen to the wrong influence. We're willing to listen to somebody else who says, uh, I can speak better, or this other person can be a better speaker, or they have bigger and deeper understanding. And that's not what God said. He brought you here, selected you, and put you here for a specific purpose. Are you taking it, or when you go home, will you take what you've learned and live every day to the greatest extent Will we still pray to God and be so close to our Father and to Christ as we rest? Will we look at our life and say, why did I really come here? Is there something that I'm missing? And start analyzing our life and see if there has been something that I'm missing. Christ wanted to teach, and what has he wanted to teach? He wanted to teach us that he has a, a government that will never end. He wants to teach us that obedience is better than disobedience. We have a lot of examples in the Bible. And so we learn it. Everything that's in this book is the book of life. And he wants to teach us this book of life. Why? Because in the millennium, that thousand-year period, these people that go through that Holocaust, they're going to be scared spitless. They're going to be frightened of anything and everything that comes along. They don't know what's in this book. And you... You decide that you want to be a part of it, and it's a decision that you have to make. I want to be obedient. I want to follow the directions. And if you go into the millennium, you will be teaching what's in this book. Why? Because what it said earlier, that we're being judged. And how are we judged? 
How are you being judged every day? By what's in this book. And who's teaching us that? Somebody that we just decide, I don't like his personality. I don't like the way he looks. Maybe he smells, and I don't like that. Or maybe he walks funny. Or maybe he just looks funny. God didn't ask you. He didn't say to you, (laughs) uh, who do you think I should put there in charge? No, he didn't ask you that, did he? Not Not one of us did God ask. He just put us together. He just pulled us to this place and put us together and said, this is what I want you to learn. And so... As a speaker, I can tell you for a fact that we study, we put our hearts into it, we search it out, and then when we speak, God decides that's not what I want you to say. You know, you decided you want to do this, but this is what's got to be said. And so in your mind as a speaker, things change because it's what God wants, not what I want. Not what Gordon wants, not what Daryl wants, not what Terry wants, not what you want. Because I can tell you, Job didn't want to have boils. But what God wanted was Job to tell you and tell me that to totally and completely understand that God is in charge. He started by showing that to Satan. But I'm in charge, not you. And he told Job, I don't care how knowledgeable and how righteous you think you are, you're not. And so Job had to go through an awful lot to come to the point to say, Now I understand. Do you understand? Have you come to that point in your life? God wants us to understand what we have to do. So we've been called to be kings and priests. We've been given that opportunity, the option to become kings and priests or to maybe cease to exist because judgment is on us. This is our opportunity. And if you Choose not to do it. That's it. That's it. That's, this is only a temporary life, but there is eternal life. And you can choose to have eternal life or not to exist. Satan is a spirit being, and God has determined that the spirit beings aren't going to die. So what's going to happen? God doesn't want billions of people to suffer eternity of blackness, of isolation. He doesn't want that. So he set it up. We're physical. We die. And if we don't become obedient, then he's merciful. Psalm 136. God's mercy is unending and his mercy is that you don't have to go through 
all the problems that Satan's going to have, the, the, the self, uh, self by yourself in the middle of absolutely nothing forever and ever and ever. There's no ending. So, God is merciful. So you have been called to be a teacher. Notice Romans 10. We've gone over this. It's been over and over and we've talked about it and we use it and we use it in, in trying to establish the fact that there is no government, which is a, a baloney you know, or nonsense. God has government. He's always had government. He believes in government. He's made government and he sets people in the office to do and to teach and to lead. What do you think will happen to these people that live through this Holocaust if there's not some kind of organization and government to teach them the same thing they've gone through up to that point? Hebrews 10, verse 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Eternal shall be saved. How are they going to call on Christ? They can't. I don't care whether you live, whether you've been in the, out there like we lived in, in Immokalee, and there are people out there that just live day to day. And I had a person work for me who lived day to day and paycheck to paycheck. He just existed. How am I going to teach that fellow and his wife that Christ is a loving husband and to be a father of many children? And God the Father will be the grandfather of many children. How are you going to teach that? Well, they don't know him. They don't know God. How shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? These people that go into the millennium do not believe of what God wants done. They don't. They're going to go. I mean, it's, it's sad to think, but yet it's glorious because they're going to learn who God is. And how shall they believe in him whom they have never heard? How can they hear about it? They've never heard it. And how shall they hear without a preacher? And God's called you to be kings and priests. Some of you will be kings. Some of you will be just teachers. And there's going to be a lot of people that's going to have to be hand-fed. And what are they going to be fed? This. This book. Same thing that you're learning. Or at least we're supposed to be learning. That doesn't change. Still got the same thing. And how shall they preach? Notice this. Except they be sent. So, did God come to us and say, Well, let's see, um, you're an intelligent person. Who do you think I should send? God doesn't take that option. Because He knows the heart of every one of us. He knows some of us can speak, some of us can't. He knows some of us 
can dig information out, and some can't. But he knows your heart, and he knows what you need, and he, God, and Christ are so involved in your life that they are hand-feeding us. Remember what Paul said in Hebrews 5? He said, I come to give you strong meat. We came here, the Feast of Tabernacles 2014, and, and here at Anatoth to receive strong meat. Do we say what they did there? Oh, but I'm not ready for it. I need pablum. No. God knows what's in your heart. He knows each one of you. He knows what you need. And He puts you here to get what you need. And so He says, I will select who will speak. Not you. Because I'm quite sure you'd find somebody else to speak besides me. But that's not the option on the table. God decides. God does it for His benefit. Except they be sent. God sends who He wants. And as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach what? the good news of the coming government of God, of the beautiful world tomorrow, a government that has no end of peace and harmony and joy. Peace, uh, the gospel of peace, and bring glad tidings of good things. So we're told through the Feast of Tabernacles of being able to work with people and teach them what God has to offer. Yeah, sometimes it thinks, well, he's picking on me. No. If you feel that God's picking on you in a sermon, why don't you sit back and say, well, uh, must be something I need to change, <laughs> instead of saying, he's picking on me. We say that, we're saying to God, you're picking on me, God. Is God picking on you? Or does God correct and spank everyone that he loves? Because he wants obedience. He wants a family. He wants peace and harmony and, and all those things. Well, he goes on in verse 16, that they have not obeyed the gospel. <laughs> Why did they go through the Holocaust? Because they didn't obey God's word. <laughs> That's an answer. For Elijah said, or Isaiah rather, Isaiah said, Lord, who believed our report? The prophets spoke. God has sent speakers, preachers, inspired, given them the word. We don't believe it because we don't believe God. He gave us this word. 
Everything that we need to get into eternal life is right here. Sometimes it's hard to understand, and so God, through His mercy, sends different people at different levels and different abilities to help us see the path that leads to righteousness. So then, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And we're told in Romans 2 and 3 that we should live by every Word of God. Often have we heard that from this lectern. Often have we heard, never let one word of God's fall to the ground. And we need to ask ourselves, why am I here to let because I don't like this speaker, or I don't like that particular sermon, or he's picking on me, so I let what's said fall to the ground. It's like washing your baby in a sink, and then washing the baby out with the dirty water, because you didn't like the dirty water. No, you want the baby clean, and God cleans us with his word. Throughout the millennium, these people are going to have to hear what God has to say. And how will they hear if there is nobody there to show them and teach them God's Word? And how can you teach God's Word if you are not listening and changing your life? That's important. That's what the importance is. And that white throne judgment come back to that. And there's billions of people going to be there. This day is a day that represents billions of lives coming back together, died, from day one till the return of Christ. How many billions? How do we know? How can we count? Well, we know it's going to happen because God tells us that that's going to happen. He's going to resurrect people. So we have to take and teach the people in the millennium so that there will be enough teachers to teach the billions that are going to come along. So we'll be there too. There's going to be billions of people resurrected to life. It's going to be a spectacular view if you, if you really think about it. And it's going to be a tremendous task. It's going to be a tremendous task for us in the millennium because these people have gone through a horrendous time and they're scared, they're frightened, they don't know where to go or what to do or where they're going to get their food or who's, who's their enemy and who's their friend. They just don't have any idea. But think about what this day represents the white throne judgment period, when billions are brought back. People who were in an airplane and they had less than five minutes to know they're dying. Well, what about those people that, like in Pompeii when that mountain exploded and that pyroplastic cloud came down there and they were just, oh, they're gone. Or those in Nagasaki or Hiroshima that were vaporized in a moment. Or what about the people that were swimming and got eaten by a shark or out hunting and a bear took them or a mountain lion? 
or they were riding in a car like President Kennedy and were shot, or those that were in the wars and wars, mankind's wars for centuries and lifetimes. We think about those that had this army coming from the left and one coming from the right and they meet each other and they, they hack each other to pieces. And they're brought back to life and maybe the guy who's hacking you to pieces is, and you're facing face to face and now you're confused. These people are going to have to be uh, taken to patience and time and to lead these people. And who's going to do that? They, for the most part, never knew God. And somehow, some way, whether it be the millennium or the white drone throne judgment period, somehow, some way, we're going to have to take patience and love and teach them. It's going to fall on us. It's going to fall on you. You're going to have the opportunity to take those in the millennium and have patience. What do you teach them? You teach them, first of all, what's said in Deuteronomy chapter 10. Deuteronomy chapter 10, 11, 12 and 13. What God wants them to understand. The first thing you have to teach them And now, Israel, what does God, the Lord your God, require of you? We're going to have to teach them what God requires of them. You're not going to go up there and grab them by that nap of the neck and throw them against the wall and start slapping them around and tell them this is the way. These people have already been through that. They're already scared spitless. They're already afraid of their shadow. But we're going to have to tell them, this is what God requires of you, that you fear the Lord your God and to walk in all His ways. And to love Him and to serve Him and the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul. How do you do that? Do you know how to do that? Can you do that today? Now, most of the time, we're... We come up with somebody, we're ready to jump on them with two feet because they're not doing it God's way. Of course, in James, we're told if we see a brother slip, we should grab him and slap him up against the wall and beat him down and tell everybody we know what his sin is. No, that doesn't what Peter said. I mean, James said. James said, you see him make a fault, you work with him, you kindly show him the way of his mistakes and you hide the sin if he changes, if he turns around. So here we're going to have maybe a hundred thousand people that have gone through a horrendous time and we're going to have to have patience and love and able to tell them and show them what God requires is that you love him with your whole heart and your whole mind, and your whole body, and every ounce of your energy. Isn't that what, God, what we were told in the first sermon? Or the second sermon, rather? To get as close to God as we possibly can, and then get closer. 
make God our Father and Christ a part of our life. Make it the most important part of our life. So we go home from here, will we take that with us? Or will it have gone in one ear and out the other? It's important. It really is important to sit and understand why we came here. So how are we going to teach these people in the world tomorrow? Well, in Galatians 5, we heard this, I think it was yesterday. Darrell read Galatians 5, 22-26, which are the, the fruits of God's Spirit. The fruits of God's Spirit. We have to teach them love. Then we have to teach them to be joyful. That there's not all this rotten stuff that's going down, has gone down through society from mankind. We'll have to teach them how to live in peace. Well, I'm telling you right here, we have to practice this same thing today because we need to live to, to practice having godly love. We need to practice being joyful. We need to practice living in peace. We need to practice having the ability to tolerate each other because we're different. We're different. We've had, you know, every one of us has a talent. Every person has a talent. Some different than others. Some have five and ten talents, and some only have one talent. And just because we only have one talent, are we going to be like the person that Christ said who has only one talent so he gets frustrated and walks away? It's not important how many talents you have. It's what's important is what you do with what God gives you. That's what's important. That you love God with your heart, mind, and soul, and you take what he gives to you and do the best you can. Because you don't know that if you do the best you can, you might get two talents or three or four. But if you get so frustrated that I'm not as good as the next person, but remember I said we are hand-picked. God didn't pick you because you were the greatest speaker or you're the greatest listener. He didn't pick you because you're the greatest ditch digger or the greatest engineer. God picked you because you are who you are. And he knows what capabilities you have. And if we get frustrated because I can't be the leader, then are you getting frustrated at the leader or frustrated at God? Because I can go back and read Matthew 5, or 25, and read where Christ said the way we treat each other, the way we respond to each other, is the way we respond to Christ. That's the way it is. So it, it, Christ said the two great commandments, to love God all the way, put Him first and foremost in our life, and the second is to love your neighbor as yourself.
Now, we can sit out there and justify our actions, or try to justify our actions. We can try to justify what we think or not think, but is it what God thinks, and is it what God has put in practice? I didn't choose to be a speaker. I tried to get out of it. Samuel tried to get out of it. David tried to get out of it. I'm quite sure that if you go back and look at the history of Moses, he didn't choose to be put into Pharaoh's family, to be a part of the ruling class. God did. He didn't choose to go off to the desert and be a sheep herder. God did. And when God finally took him aside, now here's a person that God actually talked to, you know, he put him aside and said, uh, this is what it is, sir. You're going to do it this way. Uh, Moses said, I don't want to do it. I don't want to go down there to that nation of, of Egypt and uh, take this rebellious people who hate me, wanted to kill me, and, and teach them your way of life. And God said, I don't care what you want. It's what I want. So God put Moses there, and God put the people under him. And God put the leadership here, and put you in the position you are. It's God's choice. And so he tells us that what we're going to have to teach is, first we're going to have to teach these people that God is God. And it's all about what he wants. Even with Job, God controlled Satan, no matter what Satan might think. God was in charge. He still controlled it. And he's telling us that we have to teach the people to love God first. Our whole life, our whole body, everything we do has to be God first. And then he tells us in Galatians that these are the characteristics of God. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness. Now, that's a, a characteristic that, for me, sometimes is pretty hard, is learning how to be gentle with other people. That's difficult. Especially when you think, I'm right, and they're wrong. So it is a difficulty. Something I need to learn. Goodness. You be good. You say, God characteristic. We're having to learn God characteristics. Faith. He gave us, remember I said Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They had faith. They believed there was an option. You can fall down and worship some statue, or you can love God and trust God that everything he says, he'll carry it on. And so they told the king, um, you know, you can throw us in the fire and you want to fry us, that's great. And whether, we, whether we're fried and we die or we're fried and we live, it's not an option. We are only going to obey God. 
And so I come down to the point to tell us that Christ said, inspired to say, that he was tested in every way that we are. Every way you are tested. And so I got to looking back at that statement and see, well, how is everybody tested the same way? And there was a test brought to Christ before he began doing a lot of teaching. Three fundamental, basic things that he was tested at, that you tested at, that Adam was tested with. That Moses and Abraham and Isaac and all the rest of the people. Everybody's tested in the same three categories. And that's listed there in Matthew 4. Matthew chapter 4. We'll take a look at that. The three categories that we're tested in to find out whether we're going to be able to teach in the world tomorrow and then at the time when billions of people that have, I mean, it's just phenomenal to think of all the, the difficulties it's going to have to come about to, to get these people to loving God. And so the test that Christ had in Matthew 4, verse 1, and then Emmanuel was led in the Spirit into the wilderness to be tested by Satan. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterwards hungry. That's a, that's a light statement to say he was hungry. After 40 days... And, and this was pre-planned. You see, God already knew what he had to do. Satan didn't, but God did. God already understood everything. He was so far ahead of Satan. There's just no even comparison. So to say he was hungry was to say he was at the point of physical death. You couldn't go on much farther. You have to have water and you have to have food and you have to have air. And you die if you don't have it. So here Christ was at that point of ready to die. What was the first test that he was given? Satan came to him and said, If you be the Son of God... It's the first test. That little word, if. Questioning God. Questioning his ability, questioning his love. If, I'm questioning if, you be the Son of God, command these stones to be made bread. See, he was ready to die. Satan understood that. He knew that. He knew he was physical. He's going to die. You can, if you're the Son of God, if you're the Son of God, you know, you can make this stuff to food and you can keep your physical body alive. Did Christ bite on it? With Adam and Eve, they said, yeah, right. Um, that does look like pretty good something to eat, didn't it? And I am hungry. But Christ said, 
men, humanity doesn't live by every word, by physical food. Physical food only sustains you in a physical life for a very short period of time. What is life? Again, right here. Right here. So Christ is saying to Satan, food only sustains us physically for a short period of time. But life is living by everything that comes from God. Do I live by every word of God? Or do I find fault with what God has to say? Do I find fault with who God teaches me? Do I find fault with a brother or a sister? So the first test was physical life or spiritual life. And Christ said, spiritual life is by far better than physical life because there is no end to spirit life. And so he said, I understand I'm about to die, but I'm going to live. I'm going to die physically, but I want to live eternally. So then, what is the second test? Okay, so so you pass that one. So you said, okay, I'm uh, I'm going to I'm going to let I want to live eternally. So Satan took said to him again, if, you know, question God. Question God's abilities. Question God's love and understanding and depth of knowledge and all of that. If, you know, question God. You be the Son of God, cast yourself down. For it's written, he's going to put his angels around you and take charge that you don't even dash your foot against a stone. Would you, today, go out here to Tory Weep, walk over to the edge, look down, oh, and jump off? Because God says, I'm going to be a part of his kingdom, and he's going to protect me. It's only 3,000 feet down. No, the fall ain't going to hurt you. But when you get to the bottom, it will. So are you going to test God? You're going to say, I'm going to see God, uh, whether you're right or wrong. That's basically what it was. We're going to test you on whether you're right or wrong. And Christ come back with the fact that you don't test God. Do we test him every day? Do we test him when we come here? Test him that he made the right decisions to have the feast here in Anatol on the Arizona Strip? Do we test God that he made the right decision to open my understanding to be here? That God made the right decision to tell me that I should try to get as close as I can through prayer and study and make God part of my life? Am I testing God to see because, and I've heard this in my life in the church. Well, I'm going to test God. 
if I tithe, you're supposed to give me things back. What if you don't get it back? You're supposed to third tithe. What if you don't get anything that third tithe year? Are you testing God? Do you say in your heart, or I've tried it and it didn't work out? Are you testing God? Because Christ said, you don't test God. He promises to take care of you. He promises to give you everything you possibly need. Are you going to test him? And if he doesn't give you what you think you need to have, you walk away? That was a second test. And Christ said, don't go out there and test God. I'm not going to go out there to Zion and climb up that steep mountain, I mean that solid wall, and test God that he'll keep me from falling. And the other day I had to get something off of the pull a hose out of that tank over there, and I know I have a little bit of vertigo or a little bit of dizziness. I'm not going to climb up there and test God to see if he'll keep me from falling off of there. I just asked Mark to do this. <laughs> because I didn't want to test God, because I didn't want to fall. Would God allow me to fall? I don't want to test him to find that out. I just want to obey. I want to do it his way. The third thing that came up, the thing that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego proved out to be a fact. Satan said in verse 9, uh, verse 8, again the devil takes him to an exceeding high mountain and showed him the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. You know, Satan knew he was in charge of the planet. He's the prince of the power of air. And so, he said to Christ, All these things will I give you if you will fall down and worship me. The test is, where is our heart? Where is our mind? Where is our life? We're being tested the same way. Do we trust God? Do we eat the spiritual food or physical food? And do we worship God and put Him first and foremost in our life? Everything that was brought to us in the very first day through the last day. Do we trust God? Do we eat physical food or do we eat spiritual food? And here, are we going to fall down and worship something other than God? Our job, our money, our family. What do we put first in our life? Matthew was told that Christ wrote in there, put God first in your life. Every day, every night, all day, all your life. So Satan said, fall down and worship me. Can we have the strength, and when we go into the world tomorrow and then into the last great day, a day when billions of people are going to come up, are we going to be able to tell them, as Christ said here, you worship, you shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve.
is that going to be our approach? So as you go home, feast ends. Some of us, different states, different places. And we go to our own homes, even here locally. Do we place your cluster back to ourselves and not share our lives? Or are we going to take everything that God's given to us and put Him first in our life? Because this is what it's about. We came here to worship the King, the Lord of hosts. Will we take that back? Will we worship Him every moment of every day? Because we can see in the future that we are handpicked to teach and to lead. And then in the world tomorrow, after the world tomorrow, when the billions are brought up, we're going to have to have the patience and the love and to teach these people. And we can look back and say, we've been there. We've done that. And have the compassion and the love that God has for me and for you to allow us to be here and to allow us to learn to love God as we are gently brought to that point that we then can be God and we have the love to teach others to be part of that God family.